Are oh, you there? Oh. <laughs> can you hear me? I can definitely hear you. Awesome. Can... How are you? Good. I'm sorry that uh, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> I think we both are bad at this thing here today. Um, yeah, Anchor, I don't know why Anchor is being a little funny today, but it's okay, though. Yeah, that's fine. We made it work. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? You know, I am excited today because I got a chance. I'm getting a chance and the opportunity to interview you today. Aww. And I welcome you to the show, the Rilla Sports Show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us live on the show today. Although we had a few technical difficulties, of course, but uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, that's that's if, if that's the worst our day gets today, I think we're doing all right. <laughs> yes, babe. Yes, I do. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> all right. So, um, well, uh, once again, welcome to the Real Sports Show. Um, I'm the host today, Mark, a.k.a. the vet. Um, we have live on our show today. A revolutionary leader in women's sports today, Miss Erica Van Stone, live on the show today for our listeners. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Erica, for the listeners out there, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I don't know if I would necessarily categorize myself as revolutionary. I think, um, I don't know, in a lot of ways, being a woman in sports is kind of some act of revolution in and of itself some days, but uh, I am the executive director of the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, uh, which is the governing body for the sport of roller derby. Um, and the roller derby that I work uh, for is uh, the flat track variety. So if you remember roller derby from the 70s and 80s, you probably remember bank track, which is... Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, a little bit different. And the, the challenge for bank track is that like those, those massive tracks that they used to have in arenas are just really expensive and cumbersome to move around. Um, so in the early 2000s, a group of women in Austin, Texas basically took some chalk to a parking lot and created flat track. Okay. Um, and so flat tracks rules are not super different from bank track in that the scoring system is essentially uh, pretty similar. If you are a jammer and you have a star on your helmet, um, your job is to pass opponents. Okay. And, and that's basically how points are scored in roller derby. And there are a couple different varieties out there and flat track is the largest community of the sport that's played. Okay. Okay. Um, so Thank you for the uh, brief overview of that. Um, I didn't really tell you about me, though, did I? <laughs> I told you about the sport. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, I live in Philly, and okay. uh, I've lived here for over 20 years, and I also am a skater uh, and an announcer for roller derby, and I've worked in uh, unaffiliated minor league baseball as an announcer and arena football as an announcer. Arena football. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 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 Yeah. I like it. I that like was it. a big show. Uh, right. Right. I like that one. Um, I, I've watched the uh, arena football game once before. 
um, it was pretty interesting to see how football is uh, played differently in arenas and um, indoors, I should say, on a um, platform like it is. Yeah, so. it was a lot of fun. And it, it's, um, I was a, an on-field announcer, an on-field MC. So okay. I would lead um, uh, games. So arena football, I think just like any other version of football that's televised and probably other any other sport that's televised, if you go attend a sporting event, you know that there are sort of these commercial breaks that right. have to get worked in. And so people like me step out onto the fields and then do all of these fun, crazy games with audience members or interviews. And so that's what I would do. Okay. That yeah. Sounds lovely. Um, so question for you. Yes. How did you find out about roller derby or how did you become a part of roller, der of the, uh, roller derby sport? That's a great question. Um, a friend of mine who is an anesthesiologist um, was watching the show Roller Girls. A&E had a show called Roller Girls, and now this is maybe 15 years ago, so <laughs> that gives you an idea of how old I am. Um, and wow. Yeah, right? And so <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm going to go do that that sounds amazing. Philly has a league. And <laughs> I was kind of like, uh, I'll go watch. And so right. I went to watch. And the very first thing that I noticed was that I had no idea what the heck was going on in the sport. Like right. I was like, right. Oh my God, how is this played? What is happening? And so <laughs> when I walked in, I was like, you know what this sport needs? The sport needs someone to tell everybody in this place right now what the heck is going on. Um, okay. <laughs> so that's how I got started as an announcer. Uh, and oh. then I decided that I wanted to try to skate. And so I put on skates and actually officiated. So I was an official for a couple of years. And okay. then finally I decided that I was ready to try to play the sport after like oh. five years of watching it. <laughs> I, I could definitely understand that. Well, you know, it takes some time to develop some skills or develop how to skate. And you have to learn the sport first and be able to understand the sport before you even try to play the sport. Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, so what are your experience? Uh, okay. So I can ask this one. What are some of your experiences in, actually playing the sport roller derby than actually announcing it, I should mm -hmm. say. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I spent a good amount of time watching other announcers in other sports do analysis and play-by-play. So okay. when I stepped into the broadcaster role, my goal was to try to figure out – and. and you know, I wasn't the only one out there doing this. We had a, a really good community of announcers at the time who were all sports fans. And they kind of looked around at other sports, at how different sports were, were handling broadcasting. And we kind of thought about breaking the roles down into play-by-play -play and color commentary and analysis and, and interviewing. So we worked kind of hard to break down those skills that other sports were already really well versed in. So doing that work, I think, really helped me to understand 
the rules of the sport, the strategy right. of the sport. So by the time I put on skates, I felt like I was already, I already had the education that a lot of new skaters putting on skates for the first time didn't. Um, right. My skills were the problem though. <laughs> if we're honest <laughs> about this, Mark, like, I, like I roller skated when I was a kid and I loved it. Um, right, but I right. was not an athletic person. Um, I actually was a, a soccer goalie for my JV high school soccer team. And that was okay. really the extent um, of my sporting experience until I got to college and I was a very lazy college student in New York City. <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, the easiest way for me to get to class and the cheapest way was to buy a pair of rollerblades. So at that okay. time, uh, like I just I used rollerblades as a mode of transportation in and around Manhattan. And if you could, if you can be on any type of wheel near taxi mm -hmm. cabs and um, trucks in Manhattan, then you already yeah. kind of get what roller derby is about. Um, so, but that didn't necessarily mean that I was going to be great on quad skates. And, and that's right, really right. kind of what took me a lot of time was not the know-how or the understanding of how the sport is played, but the actual mechanics of mm -hmm. putting on skates and trying to remain standing as much as possible. Right, right. Because, <laughs> you, you know, in roller skates, you know, you're rolling around and, you know, sometimes we fall down, but we got to pick ourselves back up and keep going forward. And, yep. Until we learn how to stop falling down off of skates. Yes, <laughs> that's me. Yep. <laughs> I can say that's me too as well though, because I'm not a really good skater per se. Mm -hmm. But I can I could do a little some something on some skates. I can try to roll the blade a little bit. Right. I can do a little something. I can run a circle. That's good. And, you know, that's, that's great. all I need to do. That's a start. That's all I need to do. Right. That's better right. than I was. So <laughs> you're probably a great roller derby player already. I, I, you know, I wouldn't even say that far right now, because I I mean for me, I I mean, I want to know a little bit more. So I want to know about, um, you said you were talking about jammers, and that's how you score points to the, the ones with the star on their heads, right? Yep. Doing helmets. So I want to know, what does a jammer actually do in the sport? Yeah, so... Each team, it, the, the increments of gameplay are called a jam. Uh, a jam is maximum two minutes. So okay. I, I guess you would uh, equate it to like a down in football. Um, okay. So essentially these increments of gameplay, if you don't have skaters in the penalty box, which is similar to hockey, uh, right? Like if, if folks get penalties, they're going to go to the penalty box and it's almost like a power play. So right, at, right. at any given time, you can have up to four blockers on the track for your team, uh, two teams. So that's eight blockers on the track. Then each jammer, uh, each team has a jammer, which is the point scorer. So there's up to 10 people on the track at any given time. Um, now, the first whistle blows and the jam starts. Uh, both of these jammers are trying to get through the blockers and blockers are simultaneously playing offense and defense to try to prevent their opponent, opposing jammer from getting through, but then also try to get their jammer through. Okay. So a lot of times, and this, this action starts at what is called a jammer line. And then 
Uh, once a jammer breaks through, if they do so um, legally inbound, they are considered the lead jammer. And now the okay. lead jammer can call the jam off at any time. And that's a strategic advantage. If your opponent is about to score, you can call off the jam and prevent them from scoring. Um, but the goal is for the jammer to try to get through this mass. We call it a pack of skaters um, okay. as many times as they can within that two minute time frame to score points. And so essentially the jammer is a lot like the ball the running back and the quarterback. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I like I like how you use the football references. Um so um since we are using some of that references too as well, tell me some of your experiences in your arena football. Um since I know you said you um you had a little um you had some encounters in arena football. So tell us about some of your encounters in arena football as well. Yeah, I was an on-field MC for the Philadelphia Soul. Um, and uh -huh. it was it was such fun. It was so much fun. Um, like you were implying, it, it is, it's a big show. And um, the in-arena announcer for the um for the team at the time just had this booming voice and so you know when i come into a sporting event i always look at those kind of like creative services or event production type things with all these really cool graphics on the jumbotron and you okay. know announcers with great big booming voices and um i loved the overall atmosphere and fan fan engagement that uh, arena football had. And I actually really, right. I, I liked being in a smaller, in a somewhat smaller uh, space because I had the best seats in the house. I would, okay. I would be <laughs> behind the end zone, um, you know, the, the little back, the, the divider would sort of be, you know, it, yeah. like every once in a while, I was like, maybe I'm going to catch this ball. Um, yes. You were like right yes. down there. Uh, yes. And then the job that I had was when the um, network would shift to commercial break, I would get out yeah. there and try to rally everyone to sort of, uh, we had a bunch of different games that we do. And it could be something as simple as like, all right, everybody go nuts for us potato chips, right? And and so like you're trying to get you're trying to get this section to scream right. as loud as you possibly can. And then right, right. um or we had this really amazing uh giant inflatable bowling ball and a guy who dressed up in a bowling pin suit for one of our sponsors. And so uh, we would try to roll a giant bowling ball into the bowling pin. And of course, the pin, the pin knew after a while that like, okay, you got to fall down because we got to, we have to get the heck off the field so that they can play football again. Right, um, right. So, I, so were you on the end zone? Yeah, we were we were all over the field, but the problem is we we were we had very specific timing so that they could get uh, in and out of broadcast as quickly as possible. So um, I was so excited to work 
for arena football because it was like a national stage. But I was the person being ushered off camera every time. I was like, okay, America's back. You got to get the heck out of here. Um, right, right. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes we would have uh, games go horribly wrong. Um, like we had this one sponsor who wanted us to drop little footballs from the ceiling of the Wells Fargo Center and have uh -oh. kids run around a box and try to catch mm -hmm. them. But the problem was that the footballs were these featherweight things. Um, have, do you remember, uh, I don't know if you were a kid and you ever played with those little uh, plastic army guys that had like the cloth parachutes on them that you would sometimes get. Yes, yes. It was basically that. And so because uh -huh. they were so light, it took them like 30 seconds right. to fall from the ceiling of the Wells Fargo Center. And the um, producer was always panicked because that is like one third of our commercial break. So, um, right. yeah, we had a lot of games where we did dropping the balls from the ceiling and didn't even get to finish it. And there were um, athletes on the field trying to throw the footballs at us that they found <laughs> without hurting themselves uh, from this game that I would have to run. Um, right. Yeah. So that's arena football. Uh, I mean, so did you have, did you guys ever think to uh, kind of lower it a little bit downward or like put like a ceiling, uh, something um, weighted? Not, yeah, yeah. Yes. We eventually figured out how to do it a little bit faster, but it's still like a tiny, really thin football and like this little, little kid <laughs> with a box <laughs> trying to run the length of a football field to catch it. So I do think that was one of the games that we decided to scrap because it was just too challenging. I understand. I understand. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's a that's a fun experience. I wish I got a I wish I can get a chance to, you know, actually get out there again um, to do some of those shows like that. Though. That seems like it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it was a really it was a lot of fun uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. And it was just. It was a fun atmosphere, I think, especially being down there, which is another reason that I really just love working in sports. I just love being that close to the action and kind of being able to see everything and experience things from a perspective that I don't think a lot of people have. You know, you watch a sport on TV and it feels so far away sometimes. But, you know, when you're on the ground right behind the end zone, <laughs> for an arena football game, it's real. Right. You are there. Right. Mm-hmm. We are so in, you be so engaged into the game, or you be so engaged around the sport that it's just alarming how how fast time goes once you're in, involved into the sport. Yeah, and, and I think it was also helpful to kind of like um, hear a lot of the a lot of the production that goes on behind yeah. the scenes and to understand the communication that's happening like between the producer and the announcers and um, the broadcast booth. There's a tremendous amount of communication that's happening behind the scenes. Um, and right. it was really exciting to kind of watch that firsthand. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that sounds, 
that that sounds like a, a lot of fun. I you know, um sports like that and sports events like that is what keeps the people coming back. Yeah. It keeps people motivated to watch more of it, to come back to the sports, pay more money to uh to actually be live on a show like that or on a, a stage like that, like arena football or roller derby in that aspect, because you're bringing it to life. You're bringing more of the audience involved into what you guys are doing on the field or on the rink or wherever you guys may play, uh, do the sport at. You're bringing the audience more involved into it. And I think that's what a lot of sports people are doing nowadays is more sports arenas are trying to do is engage in the audience more and bring them involved into the game as if they were actually on the court playing the game themselves. Yeah, I agree because I think that they actually have a lot to compete with in terms of right. um, at-home broadcast because the, the at-home broadcast experience is getting so good. And you look at the NFL in particular, ticket prices in some markets are so high um, right. that it's, it becomes like, you really do have to create a fan experience, um, to compete with someone staying at home in their own living room who might be watching the game on their TV, but then also have a tablet open for their fantasy league or a second right. screen open for stats that they're watching as they go. You know what I mean? Like that's, Right. Fans have built their own at-home experiences, and roller derby is no different. Um, we built out a broadcast program really based around what a lot of other sports were doing, and so we did the same thing. We, we created an at-home audience for our content that likes staying home a lot of the time. And so, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out how to go in and create a fan experience, and, and now that um, – we're in a post almost post pandemic society and sports industry that's going to have yeah. to be rethought a lot yes indeed because you know um especially some of these arenas that might be playing without an audience so the it's on the tv producers it's on the the league announcers it's on everybody around the arena i mean around you know around the broadcasting booths to now make this experience for us and the players in a sense that are on the field, make this experience feel like we're there as, as, as if we're at home still, we're still at home, but make us feel more like we're in the arena as well too, as well, um, while we're watching football, while we're watching basketball or while we're, you know, doing what we have to do to watch or hear the sports on the radio or on a tablet, as you said, we got to make this experience more better as um, announcers to be able to create that, that ultimate fan base experience, I should say. Yeah. And, and the benefit is that they're really, I don't know, the, to me, there's just nothing like being at a live sporting event, um, especially yeah. for a team that you really love and a sport that you really love. And I think, um, you can create a completely different experience at home, which is, mm -hmm. you know, awesome in its own right. Um, and custom, like custom tailored, right? Like if you have a fantasy football team that you've put together, you, you yes. don't have to like, you're, you're there managing that system as you watch your game. But the in arena experience to me is just like, 
it's unmatched. And I felt that way when I um, was working in unaffiliated baseball as well. I, I still okay. like, and, and it was, you know, I feel like it was, uh, I feel like it was forever ago, but it was only really um, maybe six <laughs> years ago. Uh, I worked for the Camden River Sharks, which was part of the uh, American baseball, uh, uh, sorry, the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. And um, it was at Campbell's Field in Camden, New Jersey, which has since been torn down. Um, and okay. like the park itself was the coolest experience because it was right up against the Ben Franklin Bridge. They had like a rock okay. climbing wall for kids and a merry-go-round <laughs> yeah. and like the best view of the Philly skyline in the area. And so just the atmosphere of the ballpark, even if there was nobody there, was just so, I don't know, really nostalgic and exciting. And it's hard to replicate that in a broadcast sense. It is. It, and it truly is, though, because, it, like you said, there's nothing more, there's, there, there's no better feeling, I should say, than going to an actual game. You're getting the crowd experience. You're getting the person that's next to you experience. You're feeling all the energy. You get to yell, scream, cheer for your teams to go on. And when they make a mistake on the field, you actually get to yell out their mistakes yeah. on the field. They can actually sometimes some the fans will let you have it on the field. Oh my god! And yep. The fan and you've been in Philadelphia, um, and we're talking about football, and we talk about the NFL. Mm -hmm. uh, Philadelphia Eagles fans, mm -hmm. I, I tell you. They will let the Eagles have yes. it on the field if they make a mistake or anything on that field. And I don't know if you're an Eagles fan or not, but I know. I am. I'm, I, I'm an Eagles fan, but they make it very hard lately. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, we're, I'm see, I'm a Washington Redskins fan, okay. and I know when when I hear Redskins versus Eagles, which is Game One of this season coming mm -hmm. up. I'm always prepared for it because I have an older brother who is a big, long-time Eagles fan. And we just go at each other every day of the week just about Redskins versus Eagles. Oh, the Eagles is going to win this game. I'll tell them, no, Washington is going to win the game. And it's so much fun because it's nothing like being in the arena and feeling that vibe, just going from everybody in that crowd. And that crowd is just a massive crowd. And Eagles fans come everywhere. They go everywhere with this. Uh, you want to hear something funny? I was um, I was in the UK for a roller derby tournament when the Eagles were in London. Um, and okay. one of my favorite conversations that I've ever randomly tripped into was, was with these two Eagles fans in the airport. It was like uh -huh. this SEPTA, like a transportation, um, I think he was a bus driver. And his brother, okay. like they, like I walked into the, um, I walked into the gate and I immediately saw these uh, two guys with, with Eagle stuff on. And I was like, hello, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know right. I like you already. Let's have a conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, so you're right. They go every, Eagles fans go everywhere, even the UK. They Yes, they traveled. So, I mean, I know, yes, the Eagles just came off a Super Bowl win, not like, I mean, 
about, I should say now, roughly two years ago now. Um, so Eagles fans have been trying to get back to that Super Bowl win, even though Carson Wentz wasn't their quarterback at the time frame. Nick Foles was the quarterback that won them the Super Bowl against Tom Brady in, in, um, in the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. But uh, they're just trying to get that massive crowd back again. And like I said, there's 100% when they say brotherly love in that city, now sisterly love in that city too as mm-hmm. well, they actually mean it in that mm-hmm. city. Yeah. So that city comes to life when football comes around. Yeah, and I, I do think that there is that sort of um, support for most of the teams. Um, I, I think football is definitely like a different, you know, obviously a different sport than baseball. Um Right. But I see it everywhere. Um, I went to Temple University for my master's program and uh, stepping into the Leah Cora Center for a Temple Owls game is just as exciting okay. <laughs> because it's like, yeah. you know, like you look across like, I, I don't know, college, college basketball is just is really fun and exciting, too. And it is really well attended by Temple alumni. So I think in general. Um, Philly as a sports town shows up. Yes, and you guys show mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. as well. You show up and show out. I I I have to commend you all for that. I have to definitely. I can't you take all for credit that. for, for it. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm no, I'm commending you all in yeah. general. Um, in general, because uh, like I said, you all show up and you all will show out at these games. You all show up and show out. Y'all show y'all love and y'all show y'all support for each team that has ever come out of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, anywhere. Y'all show up and show yep. out. And that's even including in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh. And that's still a nation. Yep. It's totally true. So, yes. So, okay. So, um, all right. So, for this part of the show, I'm going to ask you a little bit of some challenging questions on the scale of for like women in sports in general. Okay. So, um, yes. Um, So do you think that women should be paid the same way as men in sports? Yeah. So um, I have to tell you that my experience in professional, so first of all, Professional sports are predominantly participated in by men. Um, so I've heard a lot of different reasons as to why that is, including from women. Um, I remember that I went right. into um, like a, a women's sports conference, and this is maybe four or five years ago, um, for a women's sports organization. Um, and I heard women leadership in ESPN tell me that WNBA players weren't as athletically skilled as men. And I was shocked to hear, I was shocked to hear another woman say something like that because that's not how I think. Um, And like I said, I did not grow up as an athlete, but I I have really changed my entire lifestyle into a much more athletic lifestyle. So uh, that doesn't mean that I've spent my life the way I think some NFL players do from childhood. 
training to be in the NFL. Um, I have a lot of respect for what athletes do and what athletes are asked to do. Um, And I think that women are, are, are doing the work. They're out there doing the work. They are extraordinarily skilled at what they do. They're passionate at what they do and they are really good at what they do. So yeah, absolutely. They should be paid the same. And if you look at the U S women's soccer team that is outperforming the men's team in sponsorships and broadcast rights, uh, like what's, what's the holdup here? (laughs) You know what I mean? I agree to, uh, totally, 100%. And to recap, when you said a woman, a woman said that women aren't as athletic as men are, I think that was totally wrong. And I say that because there's a lot of women in the W, a lot of women in WNBA that are right now, I would say they're more they're they're more athletic. They're more athletic women in the WNBA that could take on some men in the NBA right now. Yeah. And I really do think that way though, because I see I've seen a lot of talented women in in the WNBA, not just WNBA, baseball, college basketball, uh, and football or all over in any sport. Women are really starting to, I should say, really come up a lot more and show out a lot more talent. I think that some women, I think a lot of women's sports should be broadcast on national TV as well. Yeah, and I I think you bring up a really good point. It's a question of opportunity. What types of opportunities are we providing to women athletes? Are we providing them? And this is something that kind of brought me to a place where I wanted to start our own roller derby broadcast program because the conversations that we would have with outside media outlets were like, um, they didn't understand how to present us. And so you see a lot of women's sports and the broadcasts themselves are under-resourced. and they, they don't right. have the same number of camera angles. They don't, you know, their, their production value is just different. And so, right. you know, if you're gonna not go all in on, on how this product, women's sports that you're trying to present looks and feels, the audience is gonna know that. And so by presenting women's sports a specific way and broadcast, you are sending a message to your audience that it's worth it. And it, it, it's worthwhile. And so I think there's a really big cultural shift that has to happen in sports. And e- even this yes. week, uh, I saw, you know, ESPNW had retweeted a, an article about how the WNBA is starting to make plans about returning to play. And the comments right. on that thread were just appalling to me. People were trashing the WNBA. Um, and so like, that's a, that's a cultural problem. That's a systemic problem in sport that we have to address yeah. that has nothing to do yeah. with athletic ability. Right. And I, and I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree because there's, I mean, just because we see the men dunking, we see dunk competitions, we see all these three point competitions on all-star weekend or 
anything in that nature going along like with all-star weekends and stuff like that though there are a lot of things and the actual women that can mm-hmm. dunk if you give them an opportunity there are a lot of women that can dunk and a lot of athletes that are out there that can that um, like you said there's the USA women's soccer team that are out uh, out playing the men's the men's team that are out there on a scale of I mean you know that are that yeah. are rising and they're winning championships out there, but you wouldn't know about that if you didn't watch it on TV more, if they would have broadcasted more. We're seeing more exciting, like some broadcasters that get more excited in the men's sport than they are in the women's sport. And we need to change that. And that's some changes that we need to see in sports itself, which drives me into this question right yes. here for you. Do you feel as though women can coach or be a GM in men's pro sports? Yes, uh, I do. Because I think that um, great sports management isn't tied to a gender. And um, I've seen that firsthand. The Women's Flat Track Derby Association in roller derby, uh, we are self-governed. You know, like we, we okay. uh, you know what? It's really challenging because I think an organization like uh, the WNBA or the LPGA, um, they've been given opportunities by sports that were founded by men and like to, to develop, right? Like they are essentially an arm of an right. organization that is run by men. Um, you look at uh, football, football, the NFL is right. like football is a really challenging conversation to have because the yeah. the quote unquote women's version of football that was cultivated within the last few years involved lingerie. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I think that there is there's a conversation <laughs> to have in the way that women are managed. And I think that women are often so used to having to do so much of the work themselves that I've seen a lot of really great leadership come out of it, including coaching. Um, I think the yes. the mental endurance and um, frankly, the crap that I think women have to put up with in the industry makes, mm-hmm. m- makes many women tough as nails. And those are the women that yes. you want leading your organization on the sideline, leading your team. And and I think absolutely they can. Yes. So, which makes me follow up with this question. Um, it's kind of a goodbye oh, no. question, but I'll <laughs> ask the first one first. It's, I'll ask this one. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. So how far how far do you think women are from achieving the goals of becoming a next GM or the next head coach in a, in a men's sport? How far along do you think we are away from it? I think one of the challenges for women getting there is actually due in part to the way the men's sports industries are built. And I can tell you a personal story that when I was at um, one of the one of the sports jobs that I've had over the years, I was told that I could be a broadcaster and I could do everything but 
interview the players because I could only do it at the clubhouse and they didn't feel comfortable with me being there. Um, And I think as a result, women have had to build systems that, that are far more equitable, I think, than, than a lot of men, right? Like um, in roller derby, I think part of what has kept us kind of a smaller community is that we are a lot more committed to social justice and we ask a lot more questions about the systems. Um, Like you mentioned a certain Washington team that you are a fan of, Um, you know, like we have a lot of questions about why the NFL would allow an NFL team to have a, a racist name. So, I think it's it's really challenging for men's sports to to look at uh, the women's sports community and feel comfortable because there's probably a lot of guilt there, right? And I think a lot of the women who yeah. have made it to a, a more senior position within men's sports have had to do a delicate yeah. dance and some have had to compromise their values a lot more than they would perhaps like to. So I think um, women have a challenging road ahead because I know many of them would prefer to change the system as they go. So what are you going to do? Are you going to basically come in and say, I will accept things as they are just to get this job? Or will you say, I would rather not even have this job because of the way this business is run? And so... I don't know that I answered your question, but I think the challenge for women is trying to enter an industry that many feel are fundamentally um, unjust in a lot of ways. And so it's a challenge for women to kind of look at whether or not they feel like they could make a difference by by being in that role Mm -hmm. or whether or not it's just going to sort of like dissolve their soul from the inside if they have to do something that they don't feel comfortable with. So women are, they're asking questions and that's very uncomfortable for the sports industry. So I just don't know the answer to your question, how long it's going to take. Actually, actually you have answered the question, but you also answered the second question that I was going to follow up with it. Um, how did you feel about it? Um, or how did you feel about what steps women would need to take um, in achieving, like, basically it's the same thing, but in achieving this goal of becoming into sports and, I mean, getting involved in more sports, I mean, more men's sports. Because I believe that the WNBA coaches that are in there now, that the coaches that are in there um can do a hell of a good job in men's sports and coaching. I believe that um, a lot of women can run a yep. team as a GM and do a, a do a doggone good job of it because of the fact of the matter is that you see that some men are out there right now and some men can't handle the job of being a GM. There are a lot of women that are out there that can handle this job of being a GM. So if you put, I mean, in head coaching positions, if you try it out, uh, like maybe I'll say in basketball, we formulate a thing in basketball, the NBA, where we promote our first head Mm -hmm. coach as a woman. 
see how it goes. Maybe a different strategy might come out. Maybe you'll see more defense playing in, in the NBA. Maybe you might see more systems because in the WNBA, they play mm-hmm. fundamental basketball in the, NBA, mm-hmm. in the WNBA. And I see this all the time on the court. There's a lot of fundamentals that goes on in the court. Whereas sometimes, as I see on the men's court, there's not a lot of fundamentals. There's a lot of maybe, okay, go down the court mm-hmm. and we're just going to score. You play a little bit of defense here and there, but I want to see mm-hmm. you guys dunking it. Um, I want to see a lot of um, mm-hmm. alley, excuse me, a yep. lot of alley hoops, uh, a lot of anything in that nature, just yep. to make the crowd go wild. But in the WNBA, you see a lot of layups. You're seeing a lot of dribbles. You're seeing a lot of handles. You're seeing that creativity that women are putting Mm -hmm. in, and they're competitive. They're actually, it's more competitive in the sport. But we don't get a chance to see that on TV every day of the week as much as you see the NBA because of the fundamentals. It's so much about opportunity, right? Like I think, um, God, I see folks complaining about ticket sales for the WNBA. I, you know, and like, well, they aren't necessarily promoting the athletes that well. They aren't necessarily broadcasting, like you're saying, um, giving the same environment and opportunities. And I think that that's, that is what, um, at its core, the U.S. women's soccer team uh, lawsuits were about was coming forward and saying, "Just give us the same opportunities, and we'll we'll perform for you. We'll ex- we'll execute at yeah. an extremely enjoyable, entertaining, and competitive level." Um, and that's really all yeah. that's being asked for. Um, and it's too bad that that it's seen as something different. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's what we need to fix. That's what we need to change. Um, it's a lot of things that we can change in the sports industry. Yeah, let's today. make a it's list. A lot of things, and <laughs> <laughs> I think that I list will go on forever about a, the things that we could change. <laughs> um, so, uh, wow, I've got all the t- we've gotten all the tough questions. Okay, so let's ask some lighter questions. Uh, Let's ask some lighter questions. So um, tell us about the kids. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, I actually, um, the Junior Roller Derby Association is is a separate entity. um, And they are, excuse me, kind of like the the governing body for youth roller derby uh, around the world. And um, locally here in Philly, I also uh, skate and coach for um, Philly Roller Derby, which is uh, one of our local leagues, one of our local clubs. And they have one of the more prominent juniors programs in uh, the JRDA. And um, the most exciting thing to me, uh, what's interesting is that I think like a lot of roller derby is a contact sport. Um, and we take that very right. seriously. And in the last year or so, sorry, I don't mean to get totally heavy on you, but in the last uh, two years, we've started to really ramp up our concussion conversation um, because just like the NFL, it's a problem yes. for roller derby. 
Um, so we actually, before the uh, pandemic, had an impact study that we had initiated with an impact sensor to kind of gauge what the average hit looks like in roller derby. Because we have all of this data in sports research on what contact looks like for uh, male bodies, but not for female bodies and or kids, really. So, okay. um, but those are the types of things that we're really interested in. And the juniors have um, almost like a flag football version of their rule set, which is a non-acceleration um, version of the rule set where they basically discourage smaller players from hitting each other uh, at high velocity. So that version, um, but right. what's really hilarious is that a lot of my kids really hate playing it because they just want to hit each other. Um, <laughs> and, and so like my, yeah. my son is actually one of those skaters um, who really just mm -hmm. enjoys hitting the crap out of other players. Um, but we have a really robust program here in Philly. We have um, three teams essentially worth of kids. We've got an all-star team, which uh, was number two mm -hmm. in the world, I think, at last rank. And um, the challenge okay. with the youth program is that uh, the kids age out at um, 18. And so the... I think that actually helps to keep the system fresh because kids come in and out all the time and programs turn over all the time. And sometimes that can be good and sometimes that can right. be challenging. But um, the kids in Philly, I think we've developed a pretty good um, pathway for kids coming in and, and they start at six. And my son is now 12 and he's been skating since he was six. Um, so and okay. then. Um, the older and more skilled they become, they can try out for the all-stars and the all-stars travel all over the place to compete. Um, and because we had so many mm -hmm. kids, we actually formed a B team called the Brawl Stars in Philly. Um, and it, okay. it's just, as a coach, um, coaching is another way to get like really close and into the action and it is very interesting to see yeah. how parents handle that a little bit. Um, and I never like coming sort <laughs> right. of face to face and then being a parent myself as a coach, I have really right. had to figure out how to rein it in when I get to that bench and I'm like, Oh, okay. Four of my players are crying. <laughs> Three of them are asking me to not send them in. Typically, our, par our parents in Philly are <laughs> awesome, but sometimes you'll hear the coaches on the other bench screaming or, you know, other teams' yeah. parents who are yelling. And so um, it's intense. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever coached youth sports but or participated in them. I haven't. I've, um, I've, um, I'm, I, I actually have never coached a sport, um, a coached youth sports, though, but – I've been involved in um, I've been involved in certain sports as a younger child myself, though. I'm being younger when I was younger, though. But um, I would say I know the I know the environment, how well it can get and how crowded it can get, how heated it can get when you don't want to go back on the court or you don't want to go back on the field or anything in that nature. It's just sometimes when we I mean, we as parents, 
we get so competitive sometimes frames while our child is on the field and we want to yep. get into the action so much though we like we're, we're in the game ourselves yep. and we're playing it ourselves as in their eyes so i can understand the competitive nature because yeah. i have a competitive mind myself and i'm i'm i love competing i love competitions i love going outside and maybe enjoying a good football game or watching a basketball game on TV, like I said. And I'm I might be actually playing with a basketball myself in my yeah. hand, dribbling the basketball up down the court myself. And envisioning myself playing the game it yeah, I mean while awesome. it's going on. It's so and it's so much competition out there that you just want to strive for your child to be the best. But at the same mm-hmm. time you always want to be safe and you want to make sure the yeah, sport 100%. is safe as well too. So, which leads me into this question here. Um, how are you all doing with the concussion? Yeah, so it's, to begin with, there really hasn't been any data on women in contact sports. Um, so, because okay. there really aren't that many contact sports that have a large women's community, I think, um, like the UFC and boxing are starting to become larger communities. Uh, but there, there's not like a lot of scientific right. data or research studies that we could point to to kind of examine this. And then like we're on roller skates, so we can pick up a good amount of speed when we're out there. And it, although, you know, yes. you're on an oval track and so like, the you know obviously the velocity is limited somewhat um we just we just didn't know what types of impacts we've been exposing humans to um and so we basically kind we knew that um we knew that we had to do something because we were seeing um particularly at a higher level of gameplay at our uh we have cups and playoffs and championships and the cups are kind of this self-contained bracket tournament um, for that folks compete in for a cup. And then the playoffs, we have a, a pretty large ranking system that funnels down to the top leagues that compete in the playoffs and championships. And so we started noticing more and more of those types of injuries in front of us within those competitive pathways. Um, and we do, we have, an, right. we, we do sell our own catastrophic insurance policy for the athletes to be able to protect them. Because as you know, living in America, um, health insurance is not, is not guaranteed. It's not easy. It's not cheap. So right. we're, we're asking right. people to take on this nope. added level of risk. The least we could do is provide them with a policy that helps to cover costs if, you know, God forbid they are injured. Yeah. So we put out an, an injury survey to the community in the fall. Um, and we saw some good news and some really mm-hmm. scary news. And we saw um, the good news was that um, overall injuries appear to be declining since we've made changes to the rule set over the last five years. And we're, we're going to need to track that over the next okay. few years to, to determine whether that that is true. Um, but the types of injuries and the frequency of injuries that folks are incurring um, are happening kind of at two levels. One with complete beginners and 
or two with mm-hmm. really skilled top level athletes. So, and, and then, so then we, we said, all right, okay. we got to ask some deeper questions here, which is why we started a partnership um, with this company here in Philly called Tozuda. And they create, they create these really cool impact sensors okay. that go on the back of helmets, where if you get a concussion level force, this capsule breaks open and it turns the whole sensor red so that you know that you may have incurred a concussion level impact. Um, so it's a, it's a team of scientists who created this product, one of whom was a rugby player, um, Jesse Garcia, who was a college level reg- rugby player who suffered a traumatic brain injury um, during a game and really didn't mm-hmm. know the signs and really didn't understand um, what to look for. And so she wanted to create a product that kind of helps people um, make those decisions for themselves. And so we've worked with them to create an impact study uh, that was paused by the pandemic. Um, But what we are starting to see is kind of confirming that we need to do a better job uh, with basics, with fundamentals. Um, And one of the things that it sounds wild, but I'm sure people who have played hockey probably understand this a little bit better. My dad was a, was a minor league hockey player and he didn't know anything about roller derby uh, when he came in and watched me, but he was like, you got to <laughs> learn how to fall on your gear. And that's exactly what's happening in roller derby is that you, you got to develop the muscle memory over time to try to help yourself fall as safely as possible. Right. So we're, st- we're going to reinitiate the study when we do get back to play. Um, and we really hope to understand a lot right. better um, what types of things we can do to prevent injury and then what types of things we should be looking out for that are telling us that concussion is there when we might not sus- suspect it. And then the very last thing is we right. got to change the culture. Like people have to be okay not yes. playing a game they love in order to heal their brains. And I don't think that we in the sports industry make that easy for us athletes. Understandable, understandable. Well, (laughs) I believe I've asked you a lot of questions. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to open up the floor to you. Yes, yes. Um, For uh, questions that you may have. Um, oh wow! Okay. Around, um, for me. What got you interested in sports? <laughs> the tables wow. have turned. Um. Yes, they have. Uh, what got me into sports was me actually watching this football coming up. I was watching basketball coming up. I loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love contact sports. I love contact sports. I love football when I was watching it. I like basketball as well. Even though basketball, they say basketball. It's contact. Really it was contact, totally contact. It's contact. <laughs> yeah, it's contact. But um, I, I just love sports in general. I love the competition, Phil. I like competition. And I grew up so competitive because my mom was a competitive. Uh, she was so competitive when we watched sports together. Um, I remember Sunday after. I mean Sunday afternoons, either either before. Ch- mm-hmm. I mean after church, go all um church. We'll come home at one o'clock mm-hmm. every day, watch a football game, and mm-hmm. we'll be yelling. She'd be either upstairs, I'd be either downstairs. She'd be just yelling at our team, and we'll just be going at each other, just yelling at each other. Competition in the house. 
yelling at our team to do better or do this or we need to win this game we need to do this yeah. we're trying to go to the playoffs we're trying to do anything my biggest idol coming up um i had mm -hmm. two of them was one was kobe bryant yep i grew up on the kobe era i came in i came into michael jordan era i love michael jordan though um don't get me wrong yeah. but i grew up on kobe bryant i love kobe's philosophies I just loved the way Kobe played the game. It didn't matter to me what he did on the court or off the court. Kobe Bryant was just like a special mentor to me. And I just mm -hmm. loved his, the way he just played the game. Just loved it. So, and, um, so for me, sports was just competition to me. And I just loved debating about it, talking about it. That's the reason why I started the Real Sports Show up four years ago. I love just talking about sports. I love debating sports. I just love the community of sports because it could bring you together. It unites everybody so all in one arena. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you are, who you are, where you going, how you did this. When you get on that field or you get on that court, you're all one. And you're all competing for one thing, a championship as a team. Mm -hmm. And I just love team sports. How do you think sports can be better for the communities that are fans of them and, and involved? Yeah. How do I think yeah. sports what can, can be What do they need better? to improve in your eyes? What do you think they could do differently? I believe that they mm -hmm. could be doing more community service, more, more interaction with the community. Stop hiding behind your your stardom and come out in yeah. the public. Come out into the inner streets, in the inner cities. Do um, come pop-ups to yeah. schools that people don't think you're going to pop up at. Go to inner cities and see what it is because you just because you came from the background doesn't mean you have to leave it always alone. You got to come back and support your community. Do something big. Kevin Durant did something for Prince George's County I don't know if you've seen that documentary, but he built the whole community center in PG County, Maryland, um, for people, to, for young yeah. folks to go out there and play basketball in and play and do something sports-wise in, involved into. LeBron James built the whole school mm -hmm. in, um, in Ohio and gave everybody free scholarship, yeah. um, free scholarship to go to Akron, Ohio. You know, I think we need to see mm -hmm. more community service in our sports athletes today more inner community service more uh opportunities for them to work out with players go um if you're a football player try to go in the city on your off time frame and put some money into the schools put some money into the books feed the education system with your money and your funds feed the books feed the inner community your your yep. um your service feed them more not just not just because you're an athlete just because you came up from somewhere you need to show them that not only just because i came i came from this area i came from this setting we need to show them more instead of us going to a store all the time frame we just doing whatever in the streets mm -hmm. we need to feed the streets more positivity 
We need to show more positivity in our streets and everything else in this nature. And that comes from our athletes. That's the call on the athletes. That's the call on stars themselves to come out more in the inner streets. Yeah, I love that. Love I think streets. sometimes it's probably really, um, it's, it's probably hard to understand how much of an impact you do have or you can have when you're an athlete and right. um you know i i've talked to a number of top athletes over the years and i think some are really good at stepping up and stepping forward and some don't understand that they are role models regardless of whether or not they want to be so i agree with you i think those are good moves right yeah yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank Do I get you. I more questions that. or are we done? <laughs> oh, no. I got, I mean, I, cause I got one I'm more question <laughs> listening to you talk. Um, this is really, this is kind of tangentially related to roller derby because we're an amateur sport, you know, like we, uh, like folks, folks are involved in it of their own volition. Like they are getting involved because they really love putting on skates and hitting people. And let me tell you, it's awesome. Um, okay. But people, there's a huge amateur system in this country through collegiate sports, through college athletics, through the NCAA. Um, and I wondered what your take, I don't know if you follow college sports, but I'm wondering what your take is like on um, whether or not college players should be compensated or compensated differently or treated in the way that they are. Because I, I think athletic systems have benefited from them to an extent that it's at least worth us looking at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a very, very, very mm -hmm. good question and a tough question at that too. Okay, good. But you know what though? I figured okay. you would be. And, and here we go. <laughs> I believe that college athletes, in my personal opinion, should be, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. they're already going to free riding scholarship. That's one. But I do believe, I do believe that some college experiences that do come, that they, they might get injured. So sometimes they mm -hmm. lose their college uh, scholarships. So we don't have the avenues of keeping our players at the college level on scholarship funds. So I believe if a player gets injured, they should still keep that scholarship money that they already have paid. The college institutions should already keep paying for their scholarship to keep their education going. Just because yep. you're injured doesn't mean you have to stop their scholarship funds um, or stop their scholarships from going forward. You understand what I'm saying? I don't... Yep. I don't believe that you should um uh make a player play for their own pay for their own college um expenses because they just got injured on the court and now they can't play anymore so now you're holding them back now because oh well you're not doing the job that we that you came here to do anymore so now i don't want to utilize you anymore so now i'm gonna drop you from your scholarship now you got to come out of pocket for your um for your college tuition now your scholarship is now revoked. I don't believe in that. I yep. believe that when the college in um, the NCAA games, the video games were coming out, uh, I believe that some college players should be able to get 
some money for food, some money for books. Um, I believe that they should be getting uh, at least an allowance money from colleges, an allowance, set up a daily allowance. For yes. Them. Some of the statistics, sorry not to oh, interrupt, but the like some of the statistics that I've seen on college athletes are really um, shocking around um, the fact that like many of them are actually not able to eat three meals a day because they're on um, they're on, you know, specified meal plans. Right. I used to work in um, hunger relief here in Philadelphia and we worked we had a partnership with a, with a whole network of um food service and pantry providers around the area and some of them were working with 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 athletes from a local college university program mm -hmm. because these a lot of these students aren't getting the meals that they need to stay healthy so like if if you're not even helping to assist in um making sure that basic needs are met for these athletes right. then and you're profiting millions off of billions off of what does that say about these systems because you got tv ratings that come in high for college sports like the yep. uh the sweet 16 yep. you got the ncaa tournaments the w um the w um the the women's tournaments that come about, you, mm -hmm. you're profiting a lot of money from it. So, yes, if injuries do occur, some athletes don't make it to the NBA. Some athletes don't make it, I mean, don't want to go to the NBA. For that one, that 0.1% that do make it in there, you know, um, if they're they should be still open to stay in college off that scholarship that they already had. That way they're not utilizing their own money for their own tuitions, that they're, they're athletes that make it in the NBA. They should still be on their scholarships. I think that the education process needs to ramp up a little bit more. They should still be in their books, still, you know, still getting the education that they need and deserve. You shouldn't take mm -hmm. a you shouldn't take an athlete away from their education. I think there's more promotional education size. Like you should be paying for their books. If they go to class mm -hmm. every day of the week, you should be paying for their books. Their books should come free to them. Athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I mean, I'm not excluding um, people that didn't get an uh, athletic scholarship from there. That's a whole topic in itself right then and there. But I'm, right. what, I, what I'm saying is for athletes, I think you should be paying for their books, getting their, I mean, and make sure they go to class as well. Mm -hmm. So I have a follow-up question for you on that. I'm ready for it. I'm ready. <laughs> What do you what do you think about uh, some of the controversy around the G League going after college level players? You know what? I think I <laughs> think that's very helpful for them for the skill development yeah. in players. And I think that G yeah. League players, if you make it into the G League, because it's not it's the next step before you get to the NBA anyway. Pay them, yeah, yeah, develop them. If you're going to help me develop yep. my skill tree, pay me. Give me mm -hmm. the healthcare plan that I need. Give me the, uh, right. the dental plan right. that I need. Give me all this stuff. Pay me to go into the G League. Pay me. Matter of fact, the G League should be a league in itself. It, it's, it's just mm -hmm. by itself, another entity. If you can't make it into the NBA, here's the G League for you. Here's a, here's a yeah, it's, yeah, agreed. It's like a minor system, which exactly. is, it's great. Just like the, 
Yeah, and I, uh-huh. I, I, I do wonder if, um, like, a lot of this persistent conversation is going to help make conditions better for college athletes. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it has to ultimately, right. because they they have to know that you know there is some competition out there. If you're not taking care of your athletes. Right. If you're not doing everything that you can to help them them be successful, so that you make the money that you are making off of right. them, then you you can't be surprised or upset when they walk out the door to something better. Exactly, exactly, and I totally agree with that one. I totally agree. Now, one follow up question. Well, not a sta- uh, statement. Um, I'm willing and able enough to say this i want to know more about your sport and i really want to know more about roller derby and i'm asking you today live on the show today Mm -hmm. if you may send me some more information about roller derby and that way i can broadcast more on my show on this platform that i have today on roller derby because a lot of people don't know about roller derby a lot of people don't know how much contact and how much fun it is to roller derby out there yeah it's it's awesome um we have uh our website if you just want to find out basic information about who we are is uh wftda.com like women's flat track derby association.com um and our broadcast platform is WFTDA.tv. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you'll find a lot of videos and links to games. And we, we really do archive. We have hundreds and hundreds of games archived on our YouTube channel. So if you go into YouTube and search WFTDA or even Roller Derby, you'll probably find our channel. Um, and then if you're a gamer, um, you can find us on Twitch. We're a Twitch partner. Okay. So if you go to twitch.tv slash WFTDA, um, and, and because we don't have live games happening right now, we're doing a lot of other types of content. We're doing like talk shows and um, like you're doing podcast type yeah. shows where we're talking about stuff. Um, so we're all kind of doing what we can during the times when there isn't roller derby to watch, but um, yeah, we'd be super happy to have everybody hop on over to our YouTube channel to see what we're about. All right. Well, Miss Erica, I want to thank you so much for coming live on the show with me, to, on this podcast with me today. I thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yes, it has been. It has been truly fun. I've learned a lot from you. Um, just your experiences, your comments towards a, a lot of women's sports. I, I really, truly thank you for just giving me the opportunity to interview today on the Brother Sports Show. And, um, you know, uh, it's it's been fun today. I've really learned a lot yeah. in 74 minutes of being on this show. It's, I know, right? I've learned a lot. <laughs> I, I've learned that you and I like to talk. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. <what> <laughs> But that's okay. Um, I look forward to doing more shows with you. Um, you're more than welcome yeah, to please. come back on the show. You're more than welcome. You're, you're matter of fact, you're one of our special guests live on the show. So if you ever Aww. want to come back, just let me know or whatever we can do to help broadcast you out there more. Please let us know. Awesome. We appreciate it. I appreciate it a whole lot. And I hope, um, hope I get to see you soon. Yes, ma'am. You will. Definitely. Definitely. 
Can you shout out the number one podcast that's on sports right now? Oh, the number one podcast is The Realist Sports Show. All right, everybody. Y'all heard it here first. The Realist Sports Show from Miss Erica Van Stone, everybody. Thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for tuning into this show. Um, this show will launch on Jan- on June the 8th. I'll be promoting this show at June on June the 8th at 9 a.m. in the morning. So everybody stay tuned. Miss Erica? Yeah, it's been great. Take us out. Oh, oh, wow. Uh, thanks for having me, everybody out there. Stay safe. All right. Y'all heard it here. Thank you, Miss Erica. And we are out. <laughs> All right.